0: Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Beyond Eight Figures. Before we get into this really cool episode that's kind of close to my heart here, please go check out beyondeightfigures.com. Go check out some of the past episodes and sign up for our newsletter. We have some really cool things coming up, and it would be great if you're the first person to know about it. So please, go subscribe. Today, we're talking to Ray Kimball, who's the founder and CEO of the Kuma Company and the Kuma Foundation which is kind of the sister not-for-profit to him. Kuma's is really cool global privacy, security, and identity consulting company, which is in really a hot space. And they work with amazing companies around the globe and they're growing like crazy, really killing it. Part of the way I know this is he's married to my cousin. So I've known Ray for a very long time and he is an amazing guy, but I've known him as this, just this really cool, fun guy who was doing some really cool consulting back in the day. And then I heard he had started the company. And we kind of, you know, when my family moved to Spain for about five years, you know, kept in touch lightly, but I wasn't really following what was going on. Then I dove a little bit deeper into what Kumar is doing. And I was fascinated just how interesting the work they were doing. And their clientele is amazing. Getting Ray on the show is really cool because here they are, and we don't really get into where they are in their growth, but they are about a mid seven figure plus company, you know, in that lovely sort of area where things get incredibly complex, but you really don't have as much money as you want, even though you are making good money to really handle all of your operational overhead. And the way Ray is working on this by really focusing on sort of the growth of his management team and support on that and talks about that is really pretty cool because it is such a way to help scale your capabilities when you may not have the cash flow to kind of cover everything. So he kind of goes into that. That is really interesting and worth thinking about if you're approaching or in that space. Also, what I found really cool is I've known about his not-for-profit pretty much because they're always doing these road races and fundraisers and really stuff. So it's like, oh, what are you doing and all this? But the importance in talking about how it relates to his own entrepreneurial efforts, also his not-for-profit efforts, and looking at how he's building that process and the team there and the value he gets out of that and the value he's trying to generate. In that, in the Kuman Foundation for these underserved markets and bringing technology and technology understanding to this market is great. Lastly, he's going to talk about sort of his tactical structure of how he reviews and plans for his day. Now, reviewing your day and planning for your next day is sort of foundational work on how you're supposed to do almost every productivity system out there. And we've had some guests who discussed their very, very complex structure of doing this. And we've had many other people who say they sort of wing it. Ray really goes and just kind of talks about the effort he puts in, what he focuses on, and how he uses it to align with his longer-term goals. So it's really pretty cool because it's a little bit of a Goldilocks system. It's not too much of a complex system, and it's not too loose. And... <sighs> So often in entrepreneurship, we get so crazy that we either don't do everything or we sort of latch on to these overtly complex systems that people promise will do everything in the world. But in reality, they overload. So Ray is approaching this in a Goldilocks-like thing. So I'm very excited for you guys to listen to this interview because Ray Kimball is doing some amazing work and he's just an incredible great guy who happens to be married to my cousin. So let's go talk with Ray. Hey, Ray, thank you so much for coming on the show. This is very, very cool to have you here today. How are you? Doing wonderful, Asia. Thanks for having me on. It's great. This is really cool. I mean, as I was kind of just telling the audience a second ago, I've known you for a while because one, uh, you're married to my cousin, so, you know, related, but it's been cool watching the growth of your company, especially since a lot of it happened after I moved to SANE. And yeah, we not as much contact as we had in the past. So this was always very like secondhand. I would hear things or the LinkedIn following of your growth. And it was like, wow, he's doing a lot of stuff. It's really, really cool. I, you know, and then, you know, now that I'm back in the States, I, yeah, it was definitely you were the person I was really excited to get this chance to get on the show because you've created such a great business in Kuma, but then. What else you've done with the Kuma Foundation, I just think is really amazing. Rather than me rambling about how cool I think you are, let's talk about where do you see yourself as an entrepreneur these days?
1: Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. First of all, I appreciate what you just said. I don't know that I'm I'm deserving of all that, but I I definitely appreciate it. And uh, Thank you for the invite and welcome back to the States. Uh, So uh, where I see myself as an entrepreneur, I think a lot of my background has positioned me to how I think of leadership and how I think of entrepreneurship now. You know, so when I I've been doing a lot of kind of introspective, you know, thinking about this and, you know, I am interested and will be getting involved with continuing to build Kuma. So the culture we've built in Kuma is extremely unique. And it's very unique in terms of what's happening today in the work environment. Think about, you know, what's happened over the past 50 plus years of how a business operates. You do in person meetings, you have an office space, you are driving to the office. Information is usually siloed. And so you have this, you know, you had that environment, and then it was really, unfortunately, because of the pandemic, really just threw things in a loop. And, but what hasn't changed, so the environment has completely changed. So now you have, you know, technology and, distributed workforce and the ability to tap into data, you know, in real time. And you don't need certain things that you thought you did before. And yet the operating models of a lot of these companies, you know, that we look at and that we look to either do business with or I'm looking at for other reasons hasn't changed. You know, and so that operating model has stayed the same, even though the environment's completely different. So, you know, I'm very that that's really kind of when I think of myself as an entrepreneur, I'm always looking for companies and people that are just strong leaders and are able to adapt and be resilient in any kind of market. And, and I think you're starting, you're starting to see you know, that light shine on those strong leaders now because of you know, what's going on and how quickly things are changing.
0: I, yeah, I was reading one of the things you had written about also the seed of the leaders you know, and leadership and entrepreneurship, obviously overlap greatly, but you were talking kind of about growth capabilities of an organization really depend a lot on the speed of the leaders.
1: You know, there's a the saying, speed of the leader, speed of the team. And I think, you know, with data now and with the ability to have information, you know, at, at your fingertips, you, you can also make decisions and inform decisions much, much quicker than you could before. And that's what I think a lot of, you know, companies are and somewhat Struggling with a little bit is how do you create a culture around empowering individuals to take advantage of that data? And I think there was an article in uh, Harvard Business Review, not maybe a year ago, and it talked about the role of the middle manager. And so it's a very different role. What it used to do was almost like a, it took a router role where you were routing information, doing status meetings, you were fly by, you know, management was important at that time because everything was siloed. But now, that's not the case. So, you know, now things move faster and decisions are made quicker. And, you know, this role of a middle manager is kind of slowing things down. And so you have organizations and leadership, level leadership, that is able to really empower those managers, you know, and make them, you know, actually work with their employees to see the vision and and to see where they need to go and to help them be the best that they can be to create the b- best results for the company it's a different skill set. You know, you're you're turning in from, you're kind of a router to a leader. And it's really interesting. But I think the companies that are tapping into that well are the successful ones. I mean, you're seeing it. You don't get the slow response, you know, the, oh, this is how we used to do things. Um, You know, it's different with the companies that are, you know, truly embrace this and have that strong level of leadership within their company.
0: Yeah. I think it's also just sort of, watching the companies that are doing well in this environment versus the ones who seem to be struggling. And yes, to a certain degree, it is industry because if you've been in tech, you realize very quickly or tech adjacent things. It's like the person might've been previously down the hallway, but my communication was on this device. So there's no big deal and therefore be flexible. But I kind of like, you're almost bringing things down to the, um, what was that, movement, what Zappos tried to do. Yeah, it was like too extreme. They went too far. Yeah. Finding that Goldilocks seems to be, you know, the empowerment, like the mentoring that you're talking about, for that. How do you work on your capability of being able to do that, you know, to be able to empower your team, to define mission? How do you do that?
1: And that's where the rubber meets the road, right? You know, Zappos did that and they were kind of cutting edge at the time, I, you know, but it was not... I don't think the environment was ready for it, you know, but now the environment is ripe, you know, for some of these new operating models and you're getting the friction still, you know, at the large kind of overly bureaucratic, you know, types of organizations, whether it's large or small. So, you know, I I think we actually have things that we've tested within Kuma for the last eight years that I believe strongly that they have to all be in play to really create this, Empowering culture within a company. We talked about the idea of leadership, but the opportunities companies have right now around hiring, just and then, and I can talk on that a little bit more. But and then the operations themselves. You know, you had companies that have policies and procedures in place that were built for fifty years ago. <laughs> That's not today. You know, so um, so making some real significant changes, and we read about it in the news all the time around um, some of the how companies are operating, and then just trust. I think uh, uh, really cool stuff happening you know, around how do you define trust. And so those are some of the things that really kind of drive me, uh, that I spent a lot of time kind of testing and cultivating within Kuma to see if these things work. And eventually they made their way to the foundation. And one of those topics around hiring, for example, and I just saw an article today, uh, I read a lot around the benefits The hiring environment now, you no longer have to worry about, you know, geographic location. So, you know, you don't, in the past, you were, you know, your talent pool was pretty narrow. Who lived without, you know, around this radius of of the office building? And so now companies that are truly embracing kind of this new work environment, they no longer have those restrictions. So you're able to hire people across the entire United States, in some cases, the globe, you know, and still work as a small community. And so that notion of, you know, the hiring situation now, not, it's not, you know, being hard to hire, being hard to keep, you know, you, you see some of that stuff, make the news. No, no, no. I don't know. I have never been one to, you know, you know, get behind that. I actually think the talent pool is much wider now that you can tap into as long as your business is ready to, you know, capitalize on that and operate in that way. I also think when you talk about diversity and diversity of thought, you can now bring in. All sorts of people to your business, different you know ways of thinking, different socioeconomic background, different just ways that that, you know different cultures. You know, you have the ability to tap into that and bring that knowledge to help create better products and services. So it's phenomenally exciting, and you know, and and this is something that you know I think companies are starting to realize that you know they no longer have to hire in a geographic you know centric approach they can now tap into wider, more diverse qualities of people. So I think that's pretty cool. You know, I think it's a neat area of hiring that I've focused on over the past eight years too.
0: Yeah. And this, because this is a big thing I've been enjoying living abroad is just the global base of talent, which is definitely stepping up over the, you know, for the past five years. And I definitely think past year and change. Now, I noticed your team is all, there are some people around you, but most seem to be all over the place in the U.S. Do you hire Global talent to give them what you guys do, or is it still focused on U.S. Geo?
1: Yeah, no, we do now. So, yeah, in the beginning, you know, we were very focused. Actually, what's weird is uh, the office location is is here in Virginia, but we don't have any Virginia clients. <laughs> so we, we all of our client, our first client was actually in California. And so, you know, coming out the, the door. So, you know, for eight years, we've been operating like this where clients and our resources are d- completely dispersed. And, and yes, we have clients overseas now. And we do have two resources that live overseas, one in the UK and one in Spain, actually. Again, with technology nowadays, there's no barrier, and so we're able to you know really tap into their potential, give localized services to you know clients that are out there all around save you know save on costs you know from a company perspective. So it really helps the bottom line as well.
0: I definitely think there's such a great opportunity because just like when you're hiring, there's always that jump, you know, somewhere around one and a half, three, and five years. Where the really good people sort of do these amazing jumps in their capabilities, you're working with them and you're starting to see people who've been working for Western US style companies now for this. And it's like, wait, you can hire Canadians, South Africans, you can hire people from all over the world with that amazing capability and then mix and match with American based talent and get some really cool things. It's really cool that you guys are doing that.
1: Just because you, know, you have to have your operation set up to be able to hire a diverse, dispersed staff. So you see a lot of news articles right now and a lot of companies struggling with this. You know, do we do, you know, let's move to a four-day work week. You know, let's do two, day, two and a half days in the office and two, and two and a half days, you know, anywhere else. And it's like... The company has to think about these things and they have to think about, you know, building policies and processes around this. And it's interesting. So we've always had a work from anywhere approach. Never had an office. We've always done work from anywhere because our thinking is that, again, it falls back on employee empowerment. Well, why would you have a fantastic resource or a fantastic employee and make them get up and move or make them, you know, uh, move to an office? Or make them lose or make them come to an office setting that maybe they're not so productive in. (laughs) So, so now, you know, work from anywhere. You know, if you, if you like the office environment, have that. If you like, you know, working from home, have that. But the company has to meet the employees where they're best and where they can tap into their best potential, not the other way around. And so it's really, it's, it's, so that work from anywhere policy goes hand in hand with the, you know, being able to hire well. You know, the the whole story around going even further, unlimited PTO. Why would we do that? Right. Like, you know, because we don't want to, we don't want to manage it and we don't want people working for us that have to be managed by it. And so, you know, this, the notion of, you know, unlimited PTO is it's so hard to disconnect right now in this always on environment. Why do you force your employees to think about, Hey, in two weeks, I'm going to take this vacation, um, you know, in, in a couple months and then then be out everybody rejuvenates in different ways again you know falling back to that employee empowerment you know you have to treat employee let them take whatever time they want off i mean it's a little controversial but you know it, it works so
0: At the end of the day it's yeah once again does depend a lot on your business model but you know given you know your type of business model it makes so much logical sense because it's not the hours that mean it's the output you get from your employee, you know, from your team. That doesn't matter if it's one hour, if it's 10 hours, you know, I have, I have someone who's traveling around through Turkey, through Southern Eastern Europe. Yeah. I had like, I'll pop in. I'm like, where are you? I I saw an Instagram. You were at some beach bar. Where is it? And she's like, oh, I'm in Montenegro. I'm in this. I'm like, okay. Oh, and here's your, you know, here's the study for the, you know, the keyword research. Perfect. Great. That's all that matters if the work gets done and then, you know, the rest, it's how they coordinate the team if they're adults. And I do think, I think it is an interesting thing, the type of company you're creating and what's happening more is that you're building your business from scratch to treat the employees as a partner, not turn you know, not trying to adapt and say, well, you know, we have all these rules to make sure the company is not taken advantage of. So here, will it be nice and give you these things? It is interesting how you started from that and you put that into your from your mission. Did you see not that freedom because you started from at first, but did you see how you supported your employees and your team changing over time, like the depth you were able to do or how you Walk your attention to it.
1: Yeah, one hundred percent. You know, as we grew, you know, a lot of folks will say, "Hey, you know, that works for a really small company." No, you know, it works for large companies. It works for medium-sized companies. Um, as we grew, we also saw. You know, we started as a very small shop. Now, you know, much larger. We see it falls back to that leadership being very deliberate around how they're managing to these unique kind of employee empowerment. You know how to, how are they living? You know the unlimited PTO, the work from anywhere. You know setting the examples. You know and, and trusting in the entire team. And so that becomes a lot harder. You know, there's no doubt it becomes harder as you grow because you have more people. But that's why that role of the manager is so critical to always be you know, on top of their game and to be focused on the mission and to have the trust and focused on the right things and not the siloed slow down communication. You know faucet turn it on turn it off. Not that kind of mentality. One of the crazy things we've tested out here, and we've been doing doing it for six of the eight years, is every meeting we have is open to every employee. So that's financial meetings, that's you know, hiring decisions, that's program, you know, operations, whatever it may be, it's open to everybody, and everybody knows that. There is nothing hidden within this company. So that creates this culture of trust where the employees, they can dive into a unique subject area they didn't you know, know about before. They can learn about how we operate. And it makes them so much more powerful to go out there and sell and create services because they know the reality of the business. And uh, that is really challenging for large companies to get a hold of.
0: That's interesting because right off the bat, two things yeah, jumped to my mind. One, are you running an open book company? Are your financials and everything fully open with your employees? That is really cool. I found that really hard. And once again, I realized after the fact, a lot of trying to be that transparent was around my hiring. If you hire the wrong type of people, you do get all sorts of things. And also just sort of the work you have to put in to realize the secondary impacts of having that type of transparency.
1: But if you're... um... I almost use the word struggle, but it hasn't. Like we haven't had issues with the employees, and you get a lot of what ifs, right? Like what if this person knows their rate, you know, for this client, and they, what if, how did they do the math? They know their salary, and you know, in, in the services industry, and yeah, okay, so so be it. You know, if they're not happy, I want to know, <laughs> so and, and, and let's address it. And um so, and that, that just gives them a clear sense of you know how operations work. But you know, to answer that question about you know kind of have there been struggles and, and such, you know, over the years? I, I think those are, it, it's, it is a struggle, but at the end of the day, you're creating this fine tuned, highly efficient, you know, employee empowered, trusted culture. I'll give you a quick example. We're a services based company, Kuma is, you know, one of the products we just started, we just launched is around web-based training. So we actually were outsourcing it, you know, to cyber uh, cybersecurity company. We're outsourcing it to, um, Pretty large training company, nationally recognized. Uh, they do great work. But at the end of the day, you know, our clients just wanted a couple modules here and there. They wanted maybe a little bit better quality. You know, they didn't need the whole library. Uh, we had an employee and not the most senior employee say, hey, you know, um, I'm helping these county governments create privacy programs and training. I can create PUMAs." And, and, and so I kind of paused and said, huh. Okay, you know you're going to create five you know web-based training modules yourself. Design it, storyboard it, develop it, you know, uh, load it, narrator, blah blah blah. You know, getting all getting on everything you know together, testing it. Sure enough, she did quality stuff. And I thought back to the journey that employee would have had with a different company and where the companies I kind of grew up in and. I would have maybe been laughed at, <laughs> and it would have been the end of the story, or you know, it may have you know gone through multiple hours long meetings on justification. You know, uh, oh, this team over here actually does that work, or you know, and all of a sudden it's not mine. And then you know, let's say it does become successful. God, that kind of stunk. That was my idea, <laughs> you know. And, and so we took an opposite approach. We told this person immediately. We said, you know what? We see all the business value to having this as our own service offering and not outsourcing it anymore. Uh, Many, many reasons why that was important. We trusted this employee and we said, go for it. And we're going to put the company behind you and make it a priority. And it took her 12 to 13 months to create all these modules. And she did. It's so powerful and it's such a great story because of what it could have been. So building this kind of culture, it taps into the innovative and the creativeness of these employees because they're emboldened. They're working on their own time. They're able to you know, take advantage of you know, rejuvenating mind and body. And it's really cool stuff.
0: I agree. And I think it is so cool that's happening. But the thing that I know from my own experience and then from you know, working with a lot of other business, that's a lot of work from you and your management team to be able to provide. So it's different type of work than I think a lot of people think of. From management, of, as you said earlier, in that top down thing. But, yeah, you know, one is like, especially given the growth you're going through, is ego, the amount of complexity that is increasing as you grow. So, your ability to focus. You reference, you know, you read a lot. Yeah, you, know, you even talked about the Harvard Business. And yes, that is a fun addiction. Harvard Business Review is it's such a great tool. I, sorry. Uh, <laughs> tool, tool. But, what do you do to work on your capability to deal with the rising requirements of you as the leader of the business? What do you do, you know, to improve your capabilities?
1: Yeah, so I mean, you know, as you know, an entrepreneur and as a leader, you know, I'm, I'm really, I'm just focused on always growing, and you know, this is what I look for when I hire folks. You know, it's not the stuff that you find on a resume, but are they constant learners? You know, so I am. I can't say Harvard Business Review has <laughs> its pros and cons. But I, I, I read I read constantly. Um, you know, every night. I, I have a kind of a very deliberate process I do to kind of close out my day and start my day. And so at the end of the, the work day, whatever that may be, and, and actually to touch on that, I do I try not to send emails after five or six to any employee because again, they're always on, always on environment. Me as a leader, we gotta do our part. But at the end of the day, I actually go through you know, the whole you know, slew of meetings I have the next day, look at the talking points, what I want to get out of it, you know the to-do list if I have you know, the other time. So at the end of the day, I'm always looking at what's next and what's on tomorrow's agenda. If I don't do that, I feel lost the next day. I also go through the to-do list and just clean it up because I'm sure there's things that you know, slid to the right. And so I do all that when I close down each night. Um, and then the next morning when I come in, first thing I do is I open up the to-do list again. And I look at it. And I'm like, okay, here are the meetings. Here are the things I need to accomplish. Boom. And, you know, if it's not on the list, it's not a meeting, it's probably not going to happen. And so that's how I am able to bookend my day. But then, you know, to your question about, like, other capabilities, you know, I'm also... I, I just do a lot of reading at night. So when I do hit the bed, I am reading business books, I'm reading, you know, News, less news actually, but you know some business news. Typically, I haven't gotten into the coaching route. You know, I, I know some leaders, um, some entrepreneurs have you know invoked coaching before. So I, you know, interested in that space because I'm always trying to kind of constantly learn, constantly test out you know new kind of culture building, empowering you know things within the company. So I'm always just looking for new ideas. I, I get inspired by new ideas, and if I see the more unique that idea is in a service that you typically wouldn't think of it in, I get more jazzed by that. (laughs) Because it's not the the same old.
0: (laughs) Those cool things do require a lot of effort to not lead into what I call the bright, shiny object syndrome. I know firsthand. I shot myself in the foot quite a few times when we were growing like crazy because you kind of get that ego or you get familiarity ego that like, well, if we've gotten here great, it's just going to keep going. And so, yeah. Keeping yourself deliberate in that process, I think, is hard. But I like how you give yourself that daily cadence to kind of work on this.
1: Hundred percent. Yeah. The you know, and I even make time to read. You know, I, I make time to you know connect. Um, you know, very very structured on how my day runs. People look at the company and, and you know, and, and to your point you talked about, you know, can it could be challenging for management leaders, one hundred percent. And that's the whole point, right? Like I, to my what I find is a lot of organizations have management layers or two that you kind of are wondering what's going on I mean, if I'm just being, you know, real. You know, and so by removing all of that noise and creating this flat empowering culture, your managers absolutely have to be on their game. And yeah, because that's, that's now what runs the business. It's not necessarily, you know, the juniors, um, figuring it out. So it is tough.
0: It is tough, but I think there's a better feeling. I know in trying to be deliberate, I've seen, and then talking to you know, who have that kind of cadence, like you, there is that kind of like, well, yes, it isn't perfect. And there is more stress in this way, but there's less stress. You know, as I used to say, it's like, the best thing about having a business is it's not easier. A matter of fact, it's more complex and there's more things to worry about, but you're less worried about some of the core things of survival. You know, you're like, you're past that. You're worried about more personalized esoteric concepts versus the daily struggle of survival. Actually, when you talk about your, you know, bringing in, looking at the company and you have your daily cadence, you know, nights. How do you look to kind of combine it with alignment towards your mission or, you know, depending on your structure, you use OKRs, BHAG? I love how there's like, we can literally talk for 5,000 hours about the different types of goal setting structures, but at the end of the day, they're all the same, just different words. How do you look to take your daily cadence and then make sure that every once in a while you're realigning towards your core mission?
1: My short answer and kind of off the cuff answer was going to be, you know, everything I do kind of relates to the company. You know, so anything I'm reading about, I bring back to the company. You know, everything I you know, may learn, you know, I bring back to the company. You know, and so the company in a way is just naturally kind of it leads in that way. So I do bring, I, you know, but I, I'm, we, we have platforms here where we share information, you know, and, and we're able to, you know, share lessons learned, best practices, unique things, you know, we've seen in the market. We do all that as a leadership team. We actually and you know, like like I said earlier, it's actually open to everybody, so everybody can see that stuff. And what's cool about that is you know you have maybe folks that might not typically make that senior level kind of management discussion and say, "Huh." That's interesting I didn't think about that you know what, what do you think about this and all of a sudden you know the spark of innovation happens within the entire company and and you have a new kind of direction you're going so it, so we, we we typically just focus on sharing everything we've learned you know as, as a company with the entire company and you know we haven't really touched on the foundation a lot of it as an entrepreneur you know I uh the company' been running successfully for you know almost eight years and you talked about this kind of the management and leadership you know focus that a company like this means to have and that, that's correct but over those eight years you know my day-to-day has changed you know I, I am not doing what i did five years ago i'm not doing what i did two years ago We've now i have a management structure in place that is able to lead and you know less of my time is focused on that so it's more focused on you know what's next but what i've also seen is that you know it really energizes me to to get back and and it energizes the whole company you know that that might be one of those other qualities that you know When we hire folks, uh, we talk about, but, you know, we started the Kuma Foundation, which is a nonprofit and it's focused on providing STEAM education or STEM education to kids that might not normally get it. And so, you know, this, this idea of empowerment, employee empowerment actually plays out in the foundation too, because, you know, unfortunately the typical kind of career path to get into A high-tech or STEM job is the four-year degree program, It's six-year degree program. It's That's not meant for everybody. And uh, not only that, but there's a a lot of people that don't have a social network that can easily show them the direction or this is what a job looks like. So actually, the National Science Foundation came up with this term called the Missing Millions. And it's exactly those people. It's those people that aren't in STEM and STEAM because they don't know how to get in. Play this out in our space, in the tech space, right? I mean, you look at some of the job recs that are written. I may not even apply for some of those jobs. <laughs> I mean, you know, they're, they're highly technical and and it really it needs to change. And so the foundation has built our programming to break down all those barriers and to give a chance to a kid to be empowered. So everything is free, you know, everything is either virtual again, or in person, we meet the child, however, they can be met to dual working families, you know, or single, you know, led families. It's very different on how, how you need to hit a reach a kid. So, you know, so the so we built our programs to be flexible in that nature to meet the kid wherever they are. Spark an interest and then carry them forward, whatever path they may want to get into. Hopefully, leading to you know more jobs in the tech space. You know, we have a million jobs right now just sitting there vacant in the United States. It's a huge problem. That's kind of uh, why the foundation kind of came to be as well. It's again this notion of how do you build a business? How do you build a culture? Whether it's the LLC, cybersecurity services, or nonprofit, that's all about empowering and coming up with new ways to you know tackle the mission.
0: I'm glad you brought up the foundation and what it's doing because I really, I wanted to talk to you about how you were defining success because I know like what I've done in the past when my businesses have gotten larger and I talked for others. I like how you've taken it to this extra step. Most of us, if we will donate, we will volunteer. We had pro bono work. We always took five to 10% of our capabilities, you know, went to pro bono work. But you've taken it that extra step. And kind of creating this foundation plus i'm excited now that next spring the 5k definitely want to get in, get back in shape to uh run that 5k but like let's first talk about how you're defining success and then maybe a little bit about what that foundation means towards that success
1: yeah that's a challenging question um, you know i think for me success it's kind of leaving a legacy, right? Like leaving and making an impact, and that's why I'm passionate about kind of this, the new way of you know culture building within the new work environment because I think that can leave an impact on many many businesses, not just Kuma, and create this kind of empowering you know environment where employees are they're doing things they never thought they could have before. I get excited about that, so I, I think success would be you know making sure that this culture you know, for me it doesn't just stay at Kuma. But, you know, it could be consumed elsewhere. I think also making an impact on people's lives in the tech space. That's where I'm at right now, you know, making sure that people aren't left out, you know, and, uh, you know, cause I, I flash back to, you know, my early college days and I wasn't killing it, you know, in the, in the classroom. You know, I had probably, I, I won't get, I won't get into GPAs, but <laughs> I went to a two year, you know, I went to a two year, um, community college and I worked full time. And then I went, I transferred in the University of Maryland, worked full-time. You know, I got really cool jobs with not necessarily the right education. You know, I was on a on a commission with Attorney General Janet Reno doing forensic science and law enforcement. Super cool. Like first, you know, take of that, the DOD warfighter technologies. All of these jobs were not, you know, I could have been told no, you're not the right person, right? You don't have the right education. You don't have the right background, et cetera. You don't have the right level of experience at that time. You know, and I wasn't, you know, you had these leaders of small, well-built teams, empowering cultures again, you know, that said, you know what, I see something in this guy, I'm going to allow, I'm going to bring him in. And that has really stuck with me. Like I'm really passionate about making sure everybody gets a chance. You ever tell somebody, no, you know, you're not ready. It's like, if you haven't given somebody a chance, you don't know that to be sure and that's why I think Kuma built the way it is. And that's why the foundation is built the way it is. is and, and that's what, you know, when you say what's success, you know, I think that is kind of an aspirational success for me. I think success in the business, we're at a point where, you know, financially, you know, looking at it from that perspective, you know, maybe it continues to you know, go as it has been for a number of years because it's doing great. You know, the, the growth year over year is very strong. Yeah. And we lo- we all love what we do. But, you know, maybe that changes down
0: the road. <laughs> it's an important space. You know, I'm an advisor on a security workflow SaaS company. And the space right now, given the issues with digital security and just everything, it's growing. And it's going to be more ads and people are like, what, our life isn't fully transformed, Our life is going to be even further digital. And we're barely at the beginning, you know, of what the concepts of digitalizing our lives are. Security and concepts of security, and how do we keep all this so we have control of our own presence? You know, both as individual companies, organizations, countries, etc. It's just going to get more and more complex. So, in an amazing field right now, and you have the background to deliver on the goods, which is more important. As you look to that success and look to that financial, what do you see maybe like? Do you see? the foundation and the company kind of growing in tandem? Do you see one kind of involving separately, differently? It just sort of as it is kind of a process.
1: No, no, actually, they're very much separate. They're completely different entities. Again, Kuma LLC, if they want to get involved with the foundation, so be it. If they don't, so be it. You know, they may have other passions as employees that they want to get behind and they all do, you know, and, but some of them do get behind the foundation, uh, but they are actually completely separate entities. You know, I think the binding tie is the culture, you know, and the focus of empowerment and giving people a chance, but there's very separate entities and the foundation is going to continue to grow. We just made it every year. We're adding more and more classes. We're getting more schools involved. We're getting more kids involved. And, you know, that's really a, a project that I was very involved with for the first couple of years. These last couple of years, we actually, you know, we brought in an executive director that is taking over a lot of the day-to-day operation. And we have, you know, committees now within the foundation. So the foundation's actually kind of really growing, which is super cool to, to, to watch. You know, and my, and my role as you know board chairman for the foundation is, uh, you know, it, it is more that that type of role. It's, it's not you know, the day-to-day operations CEO type of role. So they're completely separate, both you know, successful. And, but I just love watching what the foundation's doing. It's really inspiring from my perspective.
0: Other than going to Kuma Foundation and checking things out, how can people find out more about the foundation, find out more about Kuma, find out more about you.
1: Yeah. So Kuma, we're on all the social media channels. <laughs> Just look up Kuma LLC on any of them. But, you know, the, the website is actually kuma.pro, uh, www.kuma.pro. The foundation is kumacares.org. So the websites, even though the LLC website is actually going through a redesign, you can get a lot of information there. And then I'm, I'm also going to start being a little bit more uh, active and vocal in this space around how do you build cultures in the new work environment?
0: No, I think that's really cool. I, I saw you know, that Medium article, and I'll put a link to it because I thought that was really cool. You were just interviewed there. And one quick thing I noticed, and it took me a while because I kept mixing them up, but I love that Kuma LLC is the bear and the Kuma Foundation is the bear with the baby bear. That's a cool little touch. <laughs> it's like, okay. I think it was about a year ago that I finally realized the difference between them because I was like, wait, he has a company that does... Road races wait what I'm not understanding what's going on. And then all of a sudden it was like, oh, I get it now. I was like, security at the foundation, separate. Okay. Yeah.
1: Yeah. 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 Exactly. That's a good point.
0: Yeah. Right. <laughs> it was great to have the show. Thank you so much for coming on today. This is wonderful.
1: Thanks so much, Adrian. Appreciate it. Yeah. This was awesome. And really nice to talk to you in this environment.
0: I look forward to uh, having a drink now that we are in the same country and same state. So I'll talk with you soon. Right. Bye-bye. This episode of Beyond A Figures is over, but your journey as an entrepreneur continues. So if we can help you with anything, please just let us know. And if you like this episode, please share it with someone who might learn from it. Until next time, keep growing and find the joy in your journey. This is AJ, and I'll be talking to you soon. 拜拜